Um, by the way, I'm having some red wine because I deserve it. Wonderful. Yes, you, you do deserve do. it. Is film like milk? Yes. It's got culture in it. And it's. Mm, damn it. Leche. <laughs> Whole milk, skim milk, medium milk. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk Could me? Could you milk me? Hi, and welcome back to Age Like Milk, the podcast where we decide if a film has gone bad in the mind fridge of your mind. I am one of your hosts, Paris Herbert Taylor, and coming to us from the dentist, uh, a root canal, in fact, is my good friend, David William Rogers. Hello. Hello, how's it going, Paris? That would be such a fun podcast. That, if that would was be you. fun. But yes, I am fully recovered. My dentist is great, but yes, I was in a chair for about four hours today. Not fun. Did they give you any like fun drugs or is it just like straight? Uh, I had a lot, a lot of numbness. Yes. Ah. A lot of injections in my mouth, but I think they must have the good stuff because it wore off and I'm fine. In the past, I've been numb for like eight hours at other dentists. Yeah. So, you know, Uh, hit me up if you, if you need a new dentist, anybody out there in the LA area. (laughs) Wait. So, but no like nitrous oxide or any of those, like you weren't like, say imagining a mystical world where pirate ships traveled through the space with no, <laughs> the, with no the explanation space. the space <laughs> there doesn't need to be an explanation pure joy it. but he didn't experience that in the dentist chair that is the voice no. of our guest uh jake lola <laughs> we will introduce him in just a moment but david before we do what Yay. is the film we are doing today the film we are doing is Treasure Planet 2002, directed by Ron Clements and John Musker. Writing credits go to Robert Lewis Stevenson, um, Rob Clements, John Musker, Rob Edwards. Um, I saw that at one point um, part of the screenplay was based on, yeah, the novel Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. And Which it's is the got, Stevenson credit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's got some uh, some interesting voices that, I went into it not knowing, but mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, that sounds familiar, that sounds familiar. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt, mm-hmm. um, you got Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, who's a, a fan of the podcast. We love her. Martin Short. Martin Short was a robot. Uh, ben. <laughs> and there's just, you know, some good, solid voices, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, Niles, Niles Crane from Frasia. Uh, what's his real name? David Hyde Pierce. Uh, recognized his voice right away. Yeah. If you're a Frasier fan like me, you're like, ooh, it's Niles. Uh, but yeah, great voices. 2002. Mm-hmm. This movie was picked by our guest, Jake Lola. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Jake and, and I, will, I, be- I will go into the depth why we why I why we chose it. it? Okay, yeah. great. Great. I was gonna say Jake and I became friends on Twitter of all places because well before currently. the collapse yeah. well it's still alive maybe <laughs> maybe by the time this podcast comes out it will be dead and we'll be like oh that's age like milk but um we met on on screenwriting twitter and then hilariously and we i think we had a zoom we, we exchanged mm-hmm. a few this was all during the pandemic when everything was online and you could just randomly dm people and be like i'd love to chat with you and now people you know will block you but in the time it was like yeah let's all be friends um and then we zoomed and then we were at a networking event in LA and a friend of mine, a mutual was like, Paris knows everybody. Have you met Jake? And I was like, Oh my God. And we actually had met. So isn't that <laughs> hilarious? And what's cool for me on my screen, maybe I'll take a screenshot. Um, it's me, the white girl sandwiched between two almost identical looking, uh, bold, bold black men with beautiful beards. So this is a fun day 
for me in the pod. <laughs> um, but Jake, who are you? Let's look at your bio that you sent over. So oh, Jake... It's, it's truly obnoxious, but... I'm going to read the now. entire thing. Maybe I'll do a voice. <laughs> Jake Lawler is a former football player from the University of North Carolina. I'm done with that. At Chapel Hill. Hailing from Charlotte, North Carolina, where you are currently, I believe. Jake is a self-taught screenwriter who has repped at industry entertainment and just recently wrapped his first staffing gig on the crossover on Disney+. Plus. Woohoo! We love Disney. Um, he is a passionate storyteller that has a love for science fiction and horror, believing that using those fears to weave in resonant social commentary and feature a diverse group of people and ideas will help further elevate conversations in Hollywood and abroad. So true. Um, as well as selfishly knowing that there's a hell of a lot of fun to be had when things go bump in the night. He also likes to lift heavy objects from time to time and was once a gr- was a once great but now reformed high school street racer. So welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thanks for coming. Thank you. No, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be here with uh, with you two. I'm excited to talk about uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm excited too. But before we do that, David, had you ever seen this movie before? I had not. Neither had I. And Jake, and I, does there's that... A, there's a reason for it. I, I was going to say, does that okay. surprise you or is that pretty common? No, I, th- I think... So it's, it's interesting, right? Like, Treasure Planet comes at an interesting time where um, it basically ends the 2D animation era. Um, you know, yeah. things are moving towards 3D anyway, and then this was an incredibly expensive venture because of the combination of 2D and 3D. Um, and it was sandwiched between Die Another Day and Chamber of Secrets during the release window. So, you know, yeah. sounds like some collusion to me. And it's funny because uh, Disney did not want to make this. Um, mm-hmm. They, uh, Ron Clements and John Musker pitched this three times over a decade, and it took mm-hmm. them 10 years. And even with the success of Aladdin and Little Mermaid and Hercules, um, it wasn't until their production on Hercules when they got it greenlit. Um, and, you know, it was a tremendous bomb. It was, like, somewhat warmly received. It was nominated for an animated uh, feature at the Oscars, but that was a year after the inaugural one. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like it was really, like, a, a lauded category. Um as it is now and uh i think uh my generation um gen z um we deeply love this movie we do Mm -hmm. like everybody i know one of my friends is a filmmaker that um just submitted his feature film to sundance and one of the scenes in the film is a conversation about why treasure planet is like the reason why one of the characters is like doing what they're doing um Mm -hmm. in the in the framework of the movie um, but everybody I know around my age or a little bit older, even a little bit younger, is obsessed with this movie, this and Atlantis. Um, I feel and... very triggered that he keeps mentioning <laughs> that he's Gen Z, David. Do you feel Yeah, like... I was like, you... wait a minute. This came out in 2002. I was like in high school. So I was like, Jake is a how baby. old was he when Jake... this movie came out? Jake just, <laughs> I, I, was, I don't know I if I'm... I was four, I think. I was four, four? when it came out. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if I'm allowed to out your age. I don't know if people in Hollywood do that, but Jake just celebrated a birthday. And let's just say he still legally cannot rent a car abroad. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck Um, him. Fuck him and his youthful face and all those things. Um, But yes, I, so when I did research into this film, I was like, similar to what you were saying, Jake, I was like, no wonder I haven't heard of it or seen it because, you know, the studio was essentially cannibalizing itself by, releasing chamber of secrets which i think they must have known that that was going to be huge i mean the hollywood the sorry not the hollywood the harry potter fandom was so immense right like really nothing 
could go up against Harry Potter and come off the winner, right? And think. Sorcerer's Stone had come out a few years mm-hmm. prior, so it was already like this. It's was not already... like it was the first one, yeah. Exactly. It's like got a franchise built in. And mm-hmm. you know, I think that there's a few different like what ifs, which ultimately are useless considering the film bombed. But like, if this had come out in 2004, like a year after Pirates, would have been more warmly received. For sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, it it didn't do well, and it's not, it's one of those movies where I think. It's interesting, I think, to look at bombs um, throughout history, especially ones that you know I think are um, are much better than some of the movies that are coming out now. Um, and honestly, this one is pretty inexplicable because I mean, like, even if you don't have like a ridiculous amount of nostalgia for it, like I do, um, it is a perfect. It was like a perfectly great, very fun action movie, yeah. adventure movie for kids. And like, this is something that you know, given the right climate and temperature would have made a enormous amount of money um, also it but, had like know. all these characters that were totally like you know not to say that disney solely chooses animated films based off of like action figures but it's a part of their business model you have to yeah, admit you know and like the the pirates all of them were so unique looking like yeah. you could have the, there's so many cool toys, toys that could come out yeah, of this like the speed figures. racer stuff like that yeah. sorry Fla- david i Fla- think you got cut off go ahead oh i was saying yeah like toys flying boats all mm-hmm. that stuff so i'm wondering if if they butted this so close to harry potter if they knew like it was going to take a loss and they were just going to write this off at some point like you know people in accounting at disney were like well let's just throw it out see what happens if we make money great if not you know we'll the books will eat it or whatever. So it it is kind of weird to your point. Like why wouldn't they stretch this release window out to at least give it a chance? Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think it, it stems back to the, the inception of the idea is that, you know, at the time your most successful filmmakers working in your animation department have pitched this multiple times and you have said no each time. Like it wasn't until I think Clements and Musker contacted ron e disney who was like the feature (laughs) department um who has his name on the fucking company Uh, it wasn't until they got um his sign off and they had already made aladdin they had already made little mermaid hercules as well on hercules yeah yeah and it wasn't until they had like the blessing from the name itself where they were allowed to like even kind of go forth and do this so I, i really think it was a combination of um, really, really weird to release it at that time because it's well, not even a Thanksgiving film. Like it, sh- it should have been a summer movie, right? Um, but I will say though, I did read. So this movie cost 140 million dollars yeah. to make, and I suspect Dang. that potentially. Obviously, I don't want to speak for anyone, and I don't want to talk shit on Daddy Disney, but uh, <laughs> I wa- I wonder if there was some animosity, right? Like this is so this movie is very cool when you dig into it because. It used 2D animation for some parts, but they were also using 3D animation. Like, so for example, the lead um, pirate, is that is that John Silver? I was yeah, looking John up. Silver, yeah. Yeah, yeah. John Silver, he's a cyborg. And so all the more like animalistic elements, like the the natural parts, if you will, like the bio, bi- you know, the stuff that's like, he's because he's not an animal. He's not a human. He's a creature. That's all 2D. And then everything that was his uh, cyborg like his eye his leg his hand that was all 3d so that shit is expensive and there were a couple of shots in tarzan that used this like new technique where they would basically move the camera along uh hand-drawn stuff to to imitate like movement there's only like four shots in tarzan because it was so expensive yeah. this shot this movie was like 90 percent of that so yeah. um i wonder knowing as i do a little bit of the inside business if there was a bit of a grudge so they were like we'll just 
basically hamstring it a little bit on the marketing and then we can be like see we were right yeah like, this is exactly. a terrible movie so yeah. yeah well i took an edible while i was eating w- w- watching this movie oh we need to do the synopsis we're way in but <laughs> so, uh, so the visuals were great for you paris the visuals were great, but I, I yeah. have to read you guys the hilarity of my stream of conscious notes. But let's quickly <laughs> do the do. synopsis. I think it's David's turn, but I'll do it because I'm already talking and he had a root canal. <laughs> but this is a this is a pirate movie. It's an adventure pirate movie about a bad kid who uh, this like grizzled old pirate like shows up at the diner that he and his mom kind of run. It's this futuristic like, you know, at the same time old and also space and also humans and creatures all living together it's it, we'll get into it but essentially this guy drops a pirate map he opens it there's like a local guy who's always at the diner who's like rich and this doctor guy and he's like i'm gonna make an expedition we're gonna go they get a pirate ship the crew turns out to be pirates they get to the pirate to the treasure planet they find the treasure and then they lose the treasure and some people get out alive. Some people don't. I mean, I mean, I mean, characters do, they make it. Um, but so that's the, that's the synopsis, but yes, let's talk about the film and I'll, I'll only share the first couple of thought processes that I had whilst on an edible, but here's the first one. (laughs) How come he has to work on the ship when he's a guest of the guy who paid for the (laughs) ship? So a major plot point. It's character building. <laughs> you know that he was he was in he was in emotional disarray. I mean, he's a wayward child. What better way to get him straight than mopping the deck? Screaming. Okay, so Niles Crane, aka David Hyde Pierce, aka Doctor Doppler, in the film is this rich guy, and he's like, "We're gonna get a crew, and we're gonna chart a fucking ship to the treasure planet." And the first. <laughs> minute he's on the ship the captain's like you will be working in the kitchen to the guest of the guy who's paying for everything that doesn't yeah. seem right that doesn't incredible sit right with choice. me incredible choice are you kidding if me? i take yeah if i take a cruise you know <laughs> Dis- <laughs> the disney cruise isn't gonna put me to work mopping the deck you know i'm supposed to be sitting down and drinking but, but you have to somewhere. understand we that's why we watched the entire intro so it's well this this is funny because i think like there's some synergy here between this film especially the entrance of um of jim um who's our lead and uh, the way in which he's introduced is he's on this like futuristic skateboard holler like hoverboard and he's uh basically going somewhere he shouldn't be and he's um taken in by the police and uh, it's funny. So in 1985, when they first pitched this film, Michael Eisner said no because Star Trek was doing um, Star Trek was planning something along the lines uh, a film along the lines of Treasure Island, um, which went unproduced. And then it's funny. Then you watch J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek, and basically James T. Kirk's introduction is Jim's introduction <laughs> from uh, Treasure Planet. Um, but like, I mean, the, it's. It- it's a tale as old as time. You two are bad kids. Uh, we've talked about oh, yeah. your childhoods. You know, I would, I would have been, I would have been much better if I was mopping the deck but to work on a futuristic spaceship <laughs> yeah. where gravity means nothing. But Absolutely. yes, continue. Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know. It just seems a bit fishy. What was the What was the doctor doing this whole time? Was he just like sipping margaritas, like enjoying the view? He was getting he was at at the captain. Falling, he's falling deep in love with the captain. Yeah, yeah. just swooning she, the entire time. He she knocked her up quick at the end. Yeah, she was a hottie. And listen, we love Emma Thompson. My dad dated Emma Thompson in the oh, 80s. Wow, that really? is a, the one claim. She doesn't know me yet, but one day our paths will cross on a film and we will laugh about 
my father and how she used to date him in how London. Long did, how long did they date for? Do you know? God knows. My dad, the story always changes, but my dad knew her when she was at uh, Cambridge Footlights and she was also in school, I want to say with Hugh Laurie and maybe Stephen Fry. And oh, years wow. ago yeah. in my dad's garage, I found this old like playbill from when they were in a university production and they had all signed it and done things like, ha ha, like, you know, hold on to this when I'm famous. And then I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget... A few years ago, being at Soho House in West Hollywood and seeing Hugh Laurie just like sitting, having a coffee. And I texted my dad and I was like, Hugh's here. Should I go say hi? And he like, oh, well, you know, if you did, it just said uh, Peter from Australia. I'm like, okay, well, obviously you guys weren't that close. because <laughs> if, if you ever meet Emma, walk up to her and be like, I'm your daughter. <laughs> you dated you dated my dad. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I don't know if that's how it works, David. We should probably have a quick chat after the nah, 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 um, nah. But yes, okay, so to your point, it's a bad kid. Um, I feel kind of bad for the mom in this in this film. Oh, yeah, are you kidding me? She is like at her wit's end. She's got this sweet little boy, and he just turns into a monster. <laughs> yeah. Lori, well, Lori he's, Metcalf. He's having a great time with his storybook, and then yeah. she, he's at his, he's just causing havoc in their small little town, and then her, her end birds down. <laughs> it's just yeah. not, a, not a great yeah. series of events for her. I, I love the way they portrayed her, though, when he was a little boy, because that, like, a su- typical sweetheart mom, you know, yeah. just... Yeah. That was yeah. a great introduction, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. So that was confusing. Okay, so if you go into this movie completely blind, like I did, um, and you should watch it this this Thanksgiving or Christmas holiday uh, coming up. So I was like, is he just imagining these pictures? But no, it's like a futuristic book where it's, like, basically a laptop. It's glowing. Yeah. 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 No, it's cool. Yeah, well, it was cool. And I think that's like one of the one of the movies. I mean, the more that I watch this film, I think like it's always going to be forever one of the like the formative films I think in my life. Like one of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Um, but it's funny. I always have like varied reactions when I rewatch it. When I come, like sometimes I'm like, oh, like I don't like it as much as I used to. And then mm. sometimes I rewatch it like I did last time, and I was like, this is like the best fucking movie of all time. <laughs> and um, I think like. One thing I always appreciate on every time I rewatch it is just the little flourishes, right? Like mm. the book that opens up and it's like the the colorful storybook, or like when it's raining and she just turns on the she turns on like the different wallpaper, basically. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that, I think, is like it's really integral to sci-fi world building. It's like, oh totally. yeah, of course that that would exist um, yeah. in in this world, and I I, I really appreciated um, the little flourishes and touches that they did. Well, speaking of the sci-fi element, let's touch quickly on the rules of this world, which do not seem to be cohesive in any way, shape, or form. No offense to the writers. But as someone who gets raked over the coals as a writer herself, where it's like, why didn't you, you know, set this up in Act 1 so that in Act 3 you could have blah, 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 blah. Uh, Jake, what is your... Can you explain to us how gravity works and, like, how someone can get fall overboard into the sky like what the fuck is going on so the um i was i was looking up some of the research this is actually so i've seen this movie like an immeasurable amount of times this is the first time that i realized that um uh ethereum which is like that mist that you see on Mm -hmm. the beautiful landscape 
um, is basically it's like atmosphere in space. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they created that is because they didn't want spacesuits because they thought it would take all the romance out of it, which I mm-hmm. think is an excellent choice. Um, is it a little bit absurd? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think they do the quick thing on the on the ship, right, where they turn the gravity lock on because um, mm-hmm. when everybody's floating and they sort of set that up. Uh, but, you know, I think this, again, this is like one of those films where you, you kind of pay attention to the great. You just have to buy into the magic. <laughs> about it, and you just have to fully buy in, you know, and I think once you do that, um and once it becomes a feeling and again i think this is where part of the nostalgia comes like the first time i saw this i think i was like six or seven years old and i thought that like jesus christ had entered my doorstep and like the form of this 90 minute movie um because i have a question for you okay so spoiler alert uh the first mate a bad man named scrup who is this like terrifying bug Played by guy. played by the uh, inimitable Michael Wincott, who is most recently in Nope, which is one of my okay, okay. So he, there's a there's a storm or there's a black hole, sorry, that gets pulling that pulls them in, and the doctor's like, oh, thank God, like these surges, it's like a wave, we can ride it out of here. And Scrub goes ahead and and cuts the line of the first mate, and he falls into the black hole. And then I was like, but he's not going to suffocate. So does he just fall until he starves to death, until someone finds him? Is there, like, di- different... And the same thing for Scrup. He gets what's coming to him. He, like, falls off the ship upwards, and then he's, like, screaming for a bit, but then he stops screaming. Like, wouldn't you just be screaming, and you'd be, like, hearing this scream for, like, a thousand miles? You'd be like, oh, shit, he, like, fell into the sky. Well, I think uh, th- what I like to think of is... Uh, um uh that in in interstellar when he falls through the black hole and he's sort Mm -hmm. of like in this weird space Mm -hmm. um i like to think that that's what happened that he's he he just transported maybe maybe if the uh the unproduced sequel he would have shown up 20 years later totally um, totally Uh, so total side question but do you think taz could have easily scooped that guy up on the slow planet of course okay good i I don't think you guys are paying attention when matthew mcconaughey is giving his daughter you know the code uh scrub's sitting right there (laughs) 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 shit you're right he was like up in the back corner the the (laughs) creepiest voice of all time i remember being terrified of him when i was oh he's He's horrifying. A, I mean, horrifying. he's a sp- he's a eight foot spider with crab claws. He's got yeah. the he's got the the great voice. You know, yeah. it's just like oh, and un- he was um he's been a he's been a great villain. He was the first time I saw him was in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner yeah. and Morgan uh-huh. Freeman. Yeah, great yeah. voice. No. Well, I think the the core and the strongest um the strongest segment of this entire film is is unequivocally the relationship between Jim and John. Um, I'm so, so glad that you brought that up because I would like to read to you my donor thoughts. (laughs) I said, daddy issues, question mark. And then I wrote, the pirate is my daddy. Pirate daddy is proud, question mark. And then I wrote, when pirate daddy and main guy dive through a cloud, it kind of looks like cum. And then I said, (laughs) and then my next note to myself was, Whole thing a bit weirdly romantic. And then my next thought was very homoerotic. So that was my take on it. I know that it's about... You you took it somewhere else. I know that it's a father-son relationship. Am I alone in feeling like (laughs) it was a touch romantic between those two? That's the thing. House of the Dragon, I think, is is hot on the brain. So incest is is up now. Now, now, now. now. I don't know if she's seen it, though. Don't judge. I haven't seen it. The hot D. 
I haven't. I fell behind in Game of Thrones and it's my greatest shame. I stopped at the end of season two and I've never been able to catch up. So one day I will. Maybe this holidays. Uh, that did, did that did like, not enter my brain not once when they he gave was, you a whole monologue of him i know losing his dad like his dad bailing on him to go yeah. work on a ship but this is yeah. not his dad biologically i know i get that but obviously right he's he's showing him the ropes literally showing him the ropes on how to be like a pirate or a sailor and they're chopping it up they're getting yeah, along Des really wants to show him his rope i get you <laughs> oh my god <laughs> you are you are I'm, ruining i'm sorry i know you were like this you were like this is gen z's favorite movie and now gen z's gonna come and get me are you one of those like disney conspiracy theorists that it's like all about sexuality in kids movies no not every single one but this one for sure just just treasure planet (laughs) that's treasure planet i was like okay to be fair but i was like this 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 cannot be no 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 no. and then there's like a scene where they the the storm and he's like holding him against the stern real tight and tender and like oh my god i don't know (laughs) this is my two cents i mean if you thought it other people thought it i I would assume right there there has to be like yeah jim john shipping reddit community oh i'm sure there is or a tumblr community that's just actively every day they're just like making new (laughs) <laughs> release the second episode you fucking cowards where they like end up together and like live on a cute little house and they like needed, they needed to ship it yeah oh, for sure. um, i will find those people and they will become my tribe and everyone will be like she's cool she's cool she can hang with us uh she doesn't hate gen z you have the, you okay have the bot army so you guys didn't feel that way okay well then here's my next thought from my uh notes app why is every human white that's a good point it was 2002. So you're telling me that this is a fucking society where crab spider men can be pirates, but we can't have a man of color that how many, exists? How many people, how many white people were there? Two? How many people were there? Two. But Well, the dad. 100% was white. Three. Yeah. So three. Three somebody. people. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, but I mean, three people and they're all related. I'm not yeah. too upset. No, no, right. no, but in the future, there's the, like, we know that, like, the dominant color will be some kind of, like, brownie beige, right? Like, yeah. just from, like, all it's the... me. It's my all babies. The ba- all the banging, right? Across <laughs> cultures. And you're telling me, like, I think that's I, just... I 100% get what you're saying. If it wasn't, unless I missed it, if it wasn't just the dad, because the parents got to be white, he's, like, very white, right? The kid. So... Mm-hmm. Mom and dad, white. If there was any other character that wasn't, I'd be with you. But I didn't see anybody, other humans. Uh, everybody else I'm, was... I think I'm on David's side as well. You know what okay. I mean? Well, you are the It's both. a good, good point to bring up. It is a good sure. point. I'm glad and you're I, peeping I it. I'm just an ally out. in this situation, okay? Yeah, I'm just and, saying I, and I love you for that. I, I love you for planet. that. Uh, okay. So then I was like, they can travel through space, but they had old-timey ships, which I feel like is something that you would pick up on earlier, but this was the first time I thought to write it down. And then I said, how come they have to manually do the sails? Like, this this future world, they have all these technology things. That, how come- I think that that's part of the, the blue-collar work productivity that you need on a ship like that. You know, you okay. can't, you can't, it's, it, if, if everything is automatic, you get the up universe, you know, or not yeah. the up, the, the WALL-E universe. That's, Wally, that's, that's yeah. what it turns into. You, yeah. you need you need some you need people just tying ropes. You I'm just saying they have solar the, panel. They have yeah. Solar otherwise, powered. you don't need the crew, right? 
Yeah. You don't need the crew to. I just feel like at some point someone could have been like, this is a ridiculous use of time. Let's jerry rig something (laughs) to let the sails in and up. When they're on that spaceport in Montressor, it seems like that's the only ship that looks like a pirate ship. So maybe it's just pure old fashioned, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody else has moved on, but the captain is just like, fuck that. You guys are ruining what it means to be seaworthy or space worthy. Right, and like we could drive to Venice in my car, or we could go in this holes and buggy. Or, be or they're they're a little cheaper. They're a cheaper option. That's true. For, or for like space voyage, I mean, we still have sailboats now. I'm just saying, in the future. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. I'll, I will accept your answer. I like um, where this. I like. I like the the mindset, though, Paris. You're bringing some good stuff. Absolutely. Okay. The, to my point about how they made the guest of the guest work on the ship, I was like, this is about when the storm happens and the first mate goes missing. Why would you put the least experienced hand on the job of securing the lines? <laughs> Arguably the most important job. I think, so, I think they, saw it, they saw it in his eyes. They looked so right at Jim and they were like, you know what? You have what it takes to save our lives. Right. And he did. So, it wasn't his and fault. It's, uh, it, it 99% is. 99% of the lines. Uh, yeah, it wasn't his fault, but still, it, they thought it was his fault. So let's break it down. So for people who haven't seen the film, so Jim is somehow uh working on this ship now i mean like what's his w4 status his w2 like who's he paying taxes to he's a guest right he's, he's a venmo payment kind of guy. child oh, labor they pay him every, paypal every day, yeah yeah cash Just in under hand. the table yeah sure um so he's got this job of securing the lines and then when it doesn't she thinks the captain thinks like he fucked it up but turns out screw up screw up screw up actually actually like cut the line um then he gets like in trouble kind of they're like everyone's like real disappointed in him and and he's like again with his daddy issues he's like you don't understand it was my job i had a job to do and like i just feel like babe that's that's truly not on you that's on the captain big time you know what it turns into the greatest scene in the entire film is it when he's when he's moping and then john tells him he tells him the great thing about a when you get a cut of your sails, I hope I'm there to catch some of the light shining off you one day. It's great. Yeah. It is a great monologue. But I, I did write that as well. Um, so much emo. The song is how I put it in my notes. There's yeah, a song. John is it? Is it the Goo Goo Dolls? Yeah, yeah. The lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls. The Goo Goo Dolls guy. And he does this whole like emo God. I was like, one of, the, one of the great montages of all time. <laughs> he's just looking into the space. He's like climbing around the ship, all emo, and yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it. Jim, great hair. He had a great look. Um, yeah. And then that song, I think it was because all the all the the match dissolves and match fades into that. I thought we're just well, and that's the cool thing. I think it was very innovative for for animated films um, because. Uh, Musker and Clemens were talking about they wanted to find a way to move the camera um, in a way that like someone like a Spielberg or a James Cameron were, was doing at that time. And obviously that added to the expensive nature of the ordeal of the production. Totally. Um, but how fluid and how considered the action is and sort of like not even necessarily the action, but they're doing real like long um, fluid camera moves within the framework of the narrative at all times. And I think like that, that montage as well as the final um, race, which they set up in the first act um, to show that he's capable. um, Both of those just look unbelievable. I mean, it's very, you know, I think like something like an into the spider verse, um, obviously is sort of the, this is kind of a predecessor pinnacle of that. But like, Mm -hmm. I think like having the money and sort of the necessary capital and ingenuity of these filmmakers to do something that kinetic, 
um, in a in a, a medium that wasn't as kinetic or wasn't able to just because of the technology and the, the cost um, is is really exciting. But yeah, that monologue is pure nostalgia for me. Like that car, <laughs> that song, I've probably listened to more than maybe any other song in my life. Like I just wow. we had I think we had the whole Treasure Planet soundtrack on CD, and so we just walk around. And uh, my brother and I, we would call plums perps, like they do in the in the movie with the fruit. Um, so, like, yeah, this was a this was a, a true staple of. of Don't mind me, just having That's, a more classy uh, version of a baby yeah. sweat. <laughs> That's cool that you got you had that experience because I have I'm an uncle of nine, and I got a lot of friends that have smaller kids, and they get a movie that they really like. And they just take it for a while, right? They, they're they like obsessed with it. They love every aspect of it. Like you said, you listen to the song a ton. So it's cool that you had this movie, like you and your brother, for that. And with like the technology that they used, I was like pleasantly surprised. That stuck out to me right away. I was like, wait a minute. I was like, and I looked up the year too. I was like, when did this come out? Because I hadn't heard of it before. So I was 2002 and it It's because looked... you're so fucking old. And exactly. Gen, only Gen Z likes this <laughs> but, but it also, I was like, oh, this this is kind of dope. Like this holds up really well. Um, so, I, and I didn't know that they were using, you know, both 2D and 3D and like using some new tricks on well, this. There's, cool. there's an interesting shot when they arrive at the port planet. You guys know the shot I'm talking about where they push in and yeah. it, it almost feels like it's borderline like Toy Story-ish, like the 3D mm-hmm. animation. Yeah. yeah. And cool. I think like, well, and David, I think you bring up a good point, which you both did like early on when we were talking about, it. it's like, you know, I think, uh, it's one of those things, right, where this was like a, a somewhat warmly received movie, you know, like people that saw it really liked it, um, but not many people saw it. And I think it sort of faded into obscurity um, over some time. But, you know, I think parents that saw it sort of introduced their parents to it. And I think like recently, uh, since sort of like in my own writing, um, just dealing with younger characters growing up in the 21st century, as well as watching um, a few films um, one I'll shout out that it came out, I think in the same year as a Japanese film called blue spring, which is, um, but blue spring. And, uh, this honestly, uh, are some of like the real, I think the reason why Gen Z gravitates to a film like this. So, so much and so deeply, at least the conversations that I've had with a lot of my friends that love it as well, um, is that Jim's character, I think really captures the angst and the anxiety of what it's like to grow up in this era. You know, like a lot of us Mm. were born in 90, 97 98 and you know a few years after that um, 9 11 happens and then we're like in a security state and you know obviously the past five ten years have been like global catastrophe and event after global catastrophe and event and i think like having that you know pure anxiety uh, for a myriad of different reasons that angst that um the unsure nature of what your future is going to look like you know jim even says it in the beginning he's like what future and i remember feeling that deeply every day of my life even you know being successful even coming from a middle class household and you know having a choice to where to go to school i was constantly like what's the point of having a future if the world's going to be on fire you know like mm-hmm. what's the point of like even doing any of this if we're not going to have like 50 years or 30 years of life left to sort of cherish it so i think like it really is one of those those sort of quintessential experiences that very few films have really tackled in a in an authentic way that i think relates to the gen z generation um a lot which is i think why they they enjoy it so much or why we love it so much yeah and i think we have to give the filmmakers props for that like you know what 
if a film is a success or not, it can't really be necessarily measured by the metrics of like how much money it made. You know, obviously this whole film has tapped into something that you and, and people your age feel. And I think that's really valid. So um, I'm sure Disney was like, <laughs> fuck you. We told you no three times. Uh, <laughs> but it lives on. But it, it lives, lives on. on. And, you know, the best films do. Well, let's talk about you, Jake, since uh, since you started talking about yourself. And we'll circle back to the film. But, you know, usually we talk about our guests at the beginning, but we just had so much to discuss of this film that we oh, just jumped yeah. straight into it. So tell everybody, I know I read out your bio, but tell everybody listening what really attracted you to go into screenwriting and how you translated a professional like sportsman life into into the craft that you currently do yeah no i mean it's a you know i think the 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 first and foremost reason why i wanted to do all this was films like treasure planet you know i think like they're you know i think over the course of your life of anyone's life especially lives of people that are interested or actively doing you know this in the industry there are films that you constantly point to a sort of your north star maybe not necessarily the work that you want to do but i think the work that sort of gets you involved into it and i think like you know growing up how i was growing up i was exposed to everything you know very early on in terms of like film and tv uh, my parents watched a lot of uh, film and tv and you know the first my first foray into any storytelling medium uh, was uh, comic books and uh, animation you know the justice league animated series the batman animated series kind of like growing up watching that stuff um, but I think, you know, coming from Charlotte, North Carolina, a dream is something that happens when your head hits the pillow and it's over when you wake up, you know, like it's not something that you actively pursue, um, in any event for one external pressure after the other. Thankfully, like I was in an internal environment, uh, within the framework of my household that supported, um, things that weren't quote unquote practical. But, you know, I think growing up in the South has its, you know, has its drawbacks, um, as well as I think, um, allowed me to like develop I think a fuller life and meet a variety of different people but I kind of started playing football honestly out of rage because I was a nerd and then like I only had a few friends um, that uh, would allow me to uh, hang out with them and one of them was on the football team and then once I sort of entered that world it was always you can't do this you won't be able to do this you're not successful enough to make this happen whatever and just hearing that over and over again, I think you have one of two choices. You either fold or you become furious. And uh, I chose the latter. And I just was hoping that, you know, I could uh, work as hard as I could and maybe something good would happen. And it did. And, you know, I think like secretly at the time I had been dealing with um, like really severe depression, but I was, I was, and I guess am a high functioning depressive. Um, so all that was sort of, uh, pushed to the side and something I didn't talk about with anyone, which is probably why I did some of the more dangerous things I did in high school. Um, but it really wasn't until 2018 when it was my sophomore year of college where I really, or really, I think 2019, where I really started thinking about the, the future, you know, to, to quote Jim, uh, like what, what a future would look like. Yeah. I think like, again, it was movies like Spider-Verse, I think like was a formative moment in my life not necessarily because it's a great film although it, it truly is um, but there was like a little black kid and his dad walking out of the theater that i saw it at and the kid looks up at his dad and says daddy that was me and mm. i remember just hearing that and i go back to my car and i just burst into tears you know because this is a child that will not have to grow up like you know me and david did where we're like we're 
purely just hoping that Denzel Washington and Hollywood will be able to play someone that isn't a slave or a criminal, you know, to like mm-hmm. allow us some sort some form mm-hmm. of representation outside of that. And here's a child that will see Miles Morales and be forever changed, you know, that he could be a superhero. And then 2019 came, and I think I really was sort of, a, a few things had sort of happened in my life that uh, constituted me deciding to become open about my, my struggles and sort of what, what I was dealing with internally. Um, and I wrote an essay basically documenting my experiences with depression, hoping that it would facilitate a better discussion regarding mental health. And uh, it got picked up by like ESPN and Sports Illustrated, and I was flooded with thousands of responses. And I think that was the first moment I knew my writing was good and it could do some good. And I, I, I f- thought back to that Spider-Verse moment. And I was like, well, you know, I'd been living my life in a way which like I'd... Um, you know, I'd been close to death so many different times that I wasn't really afraid of it anymore. I was afraid of not living, which is something I actively had not been doing. Um, and uh, I didn't have any student debt. You know, I was grateful to, to have a full scholarship to play. And uh, I didn't really like football. I just liked what it did for me. Um, but, you know, I think there's a talent differential when it comes to football, as well as um, if you don't have that talent differential, you can make up for it for pure love and pure um, hard work. Uh, things that I wasn't willing to put into a sport um, that I didn't really like. Uh, but I loved writing, and I just, I think, sort of made a decision that I was like, you know, I had two years left of eligibility. I decided to graduate a year early and try to move out here and uh, do this, you know. And I, the self-taught part, I think, comes with Google and YouTube and just, you know, reading a bunch of scripts and, you know, watching a bunch of, like, how to write scripts. And, you know, the first thing I ever felt comfortable sharing with everybody was a pilot about like a black teen with telekinesis and his brother. And I, I wrote that in a few months. And then, you know, I, uh, one thing led to another, a few people liked it. And I came out here and, uh, here I am. So that was 2020, I think when I moved out here. So, you know, it's inspiring to hear people's stories. Don't you think David? Yeah, man, that's amazing. You know, a lot of similarities with uh some of those feelings you were going to uh grew up in a similar way and there's a bunch of people like that um maybe they don't have the you know the self-knowledge that that you have that i developed over time just by banging my head up against the wall not expressing it and not talking through it not knowing you know how my mind works things like that um and if luckily like us if you can get through that and then start to speak about it it's so much better for yourself and people that love you and care about you right so they they kind of know where your head's at so i'm um you know glad that you wrote that essay and you were able to put all that passion behind that and it's uh yeah it's a great thing you're doing yeah man thank you and i think like you know, every time I come back here, you know, when I when I meet with somebody that I knew from high school, um, it hit me really hard. That, like one of the first times I came back here, I think like in early um, or late 2020, um, during like the Christmas Thanksgiving time, I met with one of my former teammates from high school. And I hadn't done anything at this point, like anything notable, like I wasn't in the WGA at this point. I wasn't um, uh, I hadn't, you know, gotten my first staffing gig. Um and uh, but I was an assistant in LA like that's kind of what I was doing and uh, my friend just sort of like with a real earnestness was just like I'm really proud of you you know and I was you know when I heard Mm -hmm. it I was just like why like I haven't done anything yet and then I realized that like so many people I know will never leave Charlotte 
They mm-hmm. can't, you know, there, there's yeah. no self-actualization in there. There's no support that they have, whether financially or emotionally, um, where they're able to make it out. And I think like, especially for, for, you know, um, black people, which, you know, I grew up around a lot. Um, you know, I think the, the skewed representation dictates that you can like only quote unquote, only do a few things. And if you can't be a basketball player, a football player, an athlete or a rapper or whatever, like you need, you're going to basically be stuck, which is not the case, you know? And I think Mm -hmm. like being able to do this so early, um, from the environment that wasn't Los Angeles or New York, um, it, it matters a lot to me that people know that there's other routes. And obviously, you know, that's contingent on your, your financial situation and, um, how, uh, how much time you've put into the craft or like whatever, whatever field that you want to do. Um, but there is more opportunities than just to, to sit, you know, and I, I, I'm, I, I try to make that apparent and known, especially when I come back, um, to North Carolina and especially people out to LA. Cause I really think that like, you know, for as many faults as the South, the American South has, uh, people have such a monolithic view of it as sort of like just a red banner of racism, which, you know, I, is not untrue, but it's also an area with the most black people in America. You know, it's one of the most diverse regions in the world. Uh, and uh, every facet of culture kind of feeds through the South and is sort of griped and stolen um, from, you know, the, the coastal cities that I think have more maybe social capital. And I think like being able to create an authentic um, and nuanced experience as it relates to this geography, as well as the demographic that inherits it um, or, or lives on it, I think is really important. So, David's okay. from Wisconsin, and I feel like <laughs> you had a different but similar experience growing up. Yeah, a um, little flipped. You know, I uh, was removed from uh, you know the black side of my family mm-hmm. early on, so I grew up a lot of white people, but um, you know dealt with a ton of racism growing up. Me and my older brothers, but just you know, it, I'm one, I'm a story of of thousands in this country, and you know, you and I hold some similarities too growing up um, just in this country, right? So there's different pockets, different people going through different experiences uh, in the city region they're at, but then overall. There's like you saw, you know, Black Spider-Man um, and a little kid looking up to that. Paris and I have talked about multiple times of me and my brothers watching heroes like white kids. Right. And mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we had. Yeah. You know, we gravitated towards like this is a good story. It makes me feel good. Um, but that, those those is those are the stories that we had. So the more and more we develop this and these little kids can see that and see themselves on the big screen in positive, um, you know, projections uh, the more the better, right? Yeah. No, representation matters so much. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a, I got invited to a webinar with um, the differently abled community um, in film and TV in LA and just talking about like the amount of people with disabilities who are in writer's rooms and it's an incredibly small percentage. And what I loved that one of the women said was no representation about us without us. And I think that's, something that we can take across anybody, you know, like there's a lot of chat on Twitter and stuff about, you know, Oh, can I write like a female character? If I'm a guy, can I write somebody from a different ethnic background if I'm white? And it's like, yeah, (laughs) you know, like obviously we want those stories out there. You know, I get David and I always talk about, I get pitched every Hawaiian um, show under the sun because I work for Jason Momoa and it's, 
very interesting how much it's white stories centered in a Hawaiian background or it's people from white backgrounds trying to write this like story. And it's like, I admire that they, they want to have a conversation about it. But like, if you're telling a story about, you know, Hawaii being stolen from native Hawaiians, then you can't really do that without having a conversation with those people. Right. So I think that's why I know there's a lot of diversity programs in LA and, um, through different networks and I think they're really really great but Jake I'm really just you know obviously as a friend so proud of you for fighting your way in and for writing your stories and hopefully continuing to inspire that next generation of young black kids who who look up at the screen and say like oh that's me or like you know they just feel connected to storytelling well yeah and I think like you know not to sound uh too much of a sentimentalist and I think probably it's because um I've seen the Fablemans a few times and um, still haven't seen it. We need to go watch it, David. I was fucking vibrating during that movie. I mean, wow. so I saw it at TIFF, which, you know, which is where we linked up again. We hung up. Yeah. Um, oh. And then um, I saw it at the WGA theater with uh, Spielberg and Kushner there. Amazing. Um, nice. And, you know, I, th- again, like, you know, I, I think that we are probably in a different pocket of the demographic in terms of like purely loving movies for what they do. But I really think that the, the power of film is so important, you know, and it's, I think it's multi-pronged, right? Like obviously the representation things goes, goes without saying. Um, but when you watch something that truly sort of impacts you in such a visceral way and it stays with you, um, whether it's an early age or an older age, you know, I, that matters. You know, I think that, that it can dictate the way that you approach life. I think it can dictate the way that you um, you think about uh, everything, you know, the, the way that you sort of approach um, your job, your work or uh, your family um, or the ways to avoid those those type of things. And I think mm. like, you know, having that magic um and, and finding it in anything. And I think, like, I always encourage uh, younger, because, you know, I think, like, because of the situation I'm in, so many, um, there's, a, there's a lot of, because a lot of my contemporaries are assistants um, in terms of, like, that age, age group. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people are asking, like, how did I get in so quick? Or, like, how did I do this? And I, it wasn't necessarily, like, there was you a said, time I limit, fucked right? the captain of a pirate ship. <laughs> I, fell like, <laughs> I fell in love with the captain. I fell in love with the captain. I had an affair it's with, easy. Uh, with yeah. John Silver. They had to leave that part out because it was a PG-13 movie. Sorry. Yeah. That was in the sequel. It was uncut. Yeah. Which is, yeah. We should, Treasure, we should Treasure Planet 2. It. We'll write it. We'll yeah, write the we'll, fanfic. We'll write it, right. I bet you someone would buy it for sure. <laughs> But um, I, I tell people all the time, and it's cool because uh, one of my other favorite uh, films, which I was thinking about bringing up, was a uh, Demon Knight, um, which is a uh, you know the great the great Ernest Dickerson film from the '90s. Um, is that I saw that with a, a virtual Q and A with Ernest Dickerson there at um, the Los Feliz Theater, and he said it was funny, like him saying the same thing that I say to all these all these people that are asking me is you just need to watch things, you know, mm-hmm. like bad things, good things, mm-hmm. high art, low art. You know, things from the 20s, things from the Why 90s. Why David and I have you know. this podcast because yeah. we love to go and review and say, like, you know. But I think you, you develop such an, an interesting palette. I think you can kind of create your taste. Uh, you, yeah. you understand things that you like that maybe other people don't and vice versa. And I think doing that, you know, I didn't go to film school. I didn't go to an NYU or a conservatory or a conservatorship, whatever. Um, I just watched a, a fuck ton of movies and TV and innately i think developed sort of storytelling skills because of that and mm-hmm. i still continue to watch it you know a lot of it is for enjoyment some of it's work but like you know i think like mm-hmm. 
that's the most important thing I can say to everybody, you know, because I, mm. you know, I, Paris and, I'm, and David, I'm sure you both would, would be able to attest that I think people outside of Los Angeles and New York would be surprised how few people in the industry actually like are cinephiles, you know, are, mm. are actually sort of yeah. actually and enjoy it. Cause some of the conversations I've had, I'm like, you haven't seen what, you know, and I'm, feel like... I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper, but some of these things yeah. are like insane. Well, yeah. I feel like I, I feel like some entertainment people just watch like what's hot. Like everybody exactly. was talking about Severance. Everybody yeah. was talking about you know because they just want to be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, Hollywood people love to be like, it's this meets this, yeah. and it will be yeah. the most obscure. It's <laughs> 101 Dalmatians meets Scream, and you're and like, it's like no, it's not. I've seen it. it has nothing to do with those two yeah. movies. Yeah. Like, but okay. it it is it is good that. Like if you could find a community like this, so like you're, you're doing all your homework, you're watching the things you're, you know, you're reading up on stuff, right. You're actually going to, um, see stuff where like a director's involved or a writer's involved at the theater, which is amazing. Um, and then to be able to be in these conversations, you know, like Paris has people over and, and I'm sitting on a couch with four people. I'd have no clue never met him before in my life and we're just talking horror movies and the yeah. most like obscure random ones ones i haven't seen they're putting me on to them ones i love that they haven't seen and like you're saying like develop like your different style and thought process and like people can challenge that and it's like all out of respect too so that's that's one of the biggest things i love is just getting in these conversations with cinephiles and then just going into like you know the deep Stop. void where Scroob is and just right. getting into the... Just getting <laughs> Listen, exactly. storytelling is the oldest form of, like, art, right? Like, we used to gather around fires when we lived in caves and tell each other stories, and that's how mm. we relate to each other. Yeah. And I'm sure back in the day, the cavemen were like, same, oh my god, you fucking hate wolves? <laughs> Me too. Like, I also had a terrible experience yeah. with um, But, no, it's so great to have you on the podcast, Jake, and I hope that people listening, you know, obviously you and David come from different places, but obviously, you know, experience similar um, hardships. And I come from a completely random place and we're all here just sort of vibing off one movie. That's very much about the love affair between a man and a boy. Um, <laughs> and you know, the, the, whether the or not pre, gravity the works. predecessor to call me by your name. It's exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> well, we are getting to that time guys yeah. where we have to give someone from the cast or crew a shout out before we do that. Uh, Jake, any last, uh, you know, thoughts on if somebody wants to make a switch into uh, into screenwriting, well, what can they do? How? What's your piece of advice for them? Um, yeah, I mean, I watch movies is, is certainly paramount, or watch movies and TV. Um, and I think honestly, just you know, I, I say a lot with uh, with my friends um, that are are working in it or interested in working in the business that you really need, I think, fall in love with the leap more than anything, you know. And I think like um, at a certain point, the only thing holding someone back from doing this is fear. You know, at a certain point, 100%. Uh, you have, hopefully you will have like enough financial security or freedom to maybe, you know, make this happen. And the cool thing is, is that now in the 21st century, you don't necessarily need to be in LA to make any of this happen. You know, I think that like, there's a real vulnerability, obviously inherently with writing because it is sort of a negatively linked to who you are and your experience, or it should be. Um, you should not be writing things to the market. You should be writing things that, that you care about because people will be able to feel that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, I think at a certain point, the only thing holding you back is fear and falling in love with that leap makes everything so much better. You know, and I, I say all the time that there are no losses in life. There are only lessons, you know, and I think the only losses that. that you take are the things you mm. don't learn from. Um, so, For a small yeah. child, you are very wise. A baby that was born <laughs> just one year ago, because it's still 2000 in my mind. Um, okay, well, Jake, where can people find you on social media if they want to connect with you and get more of your wisdom? So on the the collapsing Twitter, I am at a, a Jake Lawler 42, and on the um, somewhat stable, I think for now, Instagram, I am a Jake Lawler writes. So. We will put your handles in the show notes, but also please know when you go to Twitter that Jake was verified before people could buy for the blue check mark. Okay. He tweeted that recently and was like, "I want everyone to know." I, um, but I, was, with... I was also verified for football. It was not. Oh, oh shit! No. Yeah, I was there you go. So that's so. the way to do it: is just become famous in another area and then come exactly. to screenwriting and, yeah, and, like, and try. Yeah. Got it. Cool. I'll go back in time. My time machine. Uh, okay. Well, David, who yeah. are you going to give a shout out to from the Costal crew? I went with Richard Adrian, and my guy was on the sound effects Ooh. and sound editor for this movie. So, do you think he did the farting for that creature that just farts okay, to communicate? That was the one thing to me that was like a little too much. Um, as 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 people <laughs> listen I to this podcast, oh, so I'm not not too much on like the the poop humor. Unless it's elevated, I think it's whatever. It's shitty. He was uh, a snail that fought it. Come on. Yes, I know. Space. How much more and, elevated can you get? And the doctor spoke his language. That I thought was funny. He took two years of it, and then it was like, okay. We oh, he it. said he was this fluent, and he took two years in high school. I was like, yeah. I took four years of <laughs> French in high school, and I'm still like that pointing at shit it. like a moron. Uh, yes, please continue. What has but our yes. guy worked on? Uh, Richard has done a lot. Lot. He's got 79 credits in the sound yeah, department. Boy. Still doing it. He worked on a movie recently called Slayers. Um, let's see. He did The Matrix Reloaded. He did Eight Mile, um, Aeon Flux. And so he's been doing this for a while, a couple different video games. Nice. Um, but yeah, I thought the. Working. Yeah, exactly. And I thought what drew me in is not so much the emo song and the montage, which was, which was great, but um, the. I love fucking pirate movie mm. and yeah. and the sailing and all that stuff and the the music behind it like gets you going for an adventure and it's like yeah. oh shit's about to pop off so I really felt that in this movie and I thought it was a big part of it to to bring you into their world so sure. uh, yeah Richard thank you for your contribution and we see you and we appreciate you we see you and we appreciate you Richard all right who do you have Jake who are you gonna shout out so I've I'm split um, so I I want to talk about a piggybacking off of david james newton howard's score is just tremendous you know lovely yes. i mean like <laughs> you know that has been in my mind i think since i've been like six years old so i, I had mm -hmm. to talk about that um and then brian which Murray was like is, five uh, days ago but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the then, year 2000 um, <laughs> and then uh, brian murray as uh john silver which i think is like one of one of so the good. most one of the one of in in my opinion one of the like the greatest voice acting performances of all time um like mm. he just has an incredible voice uh, the performance that he brings is so nuanced it's so interesting and um you know i think every scene that him he and jim share um or you know he and joseph gordon levitt share is just absolute magic i mean it's the you know i think such like chemistry all the, you know what i'm saying <laughs> all, the, uh, all the romance that they have is just is, is oh pure. my god it's pure and it's like, you, you know so <laughs> i'm writing this movie um 
Yeah, I just want to say as well, like you guys were talking about representation on screen. Like I too felt very represented by the cyborg because I feel like a cyborg with like all my, <laughs> you know, my fucking Apple Watch and shit. Yeah, I was like, oh, finally, tech. like someone, someone like me oh, on the screen. You. Yes. Well, <laughs> well, we shout out to both of those guys, Jake. Um, and finally, I went with the casting department because I thought the voices, similar to your point, Jake. Wow. What a yeah. great collective and also like voice acting is so so hard i think people don't realize that especially when you cast people that typically are like live action but i have to say like everyone that was in this film nailed it i didn't recognize that it was um joseph gordon levitt's i'm hitting my desk a thousand times good times um but anyway so i wanted to shout out mary hidalgo who uh has a lot of credits as well um, 79, same as you, David. Stop Ooh, copying wow, me. Um, she was the casting director on Sea Beasts. She was. She is the casting director on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That hasn't come out yet, right? No. no I think it comes right. out, out, I think it comes out this, this week, right? This oh, week. Okay. exciting. Nice. Nice. Uh, Disenchantment, which is a hilariously silly show. My Little yes, Pony. The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is a fantastic movie. Just a million things. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So there you go. Uh, little coming full circle moments. So... Mary, we see you and we appreciate you. Yeah, appreciate you, Mary. Okay, it's the time where we decide if this film aged like milk, aka went bad in the mind fridge of our mind, because it is 20 years old now. Holy shit. When he said he was in like whatever year he was in, I was like, oh God, we're so old. Dude. <laughs> um, or if it has uh, stayed fresh. So David, kick us off. What do you reckon? Space milk. Mm-hmm. I think wow. this movie... Wow. Yeah, it held up like space milk because milk in space doesn't age, right? There you go. So, yeah, right? Exactly. There you go. So nothing got to it. Nothing spoiled it. I Is it just was, floating around forever? It's just we floating have no around. Where the people go? Exactly. <laughs> uh, Into the sky. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed and was amazed like watching this. And I was like, well, this animation is incredible. And it felt like futuristic to me, even just watching it today. Uh, maybe I got to watch some more updated animation movies, but I felt like this definitely held up on that side of things. Um, and it was really cool how it was done. And then, yeah, I like the story. I thought that, um, you know, a kid growing up with hopes and dreams, I, I like that storybook uh, beginning where it's kind of setting the tone. And then they fast forward to him skating around on that, that hoverboard thing. And then going off an adventure. And I love adventure movies. And, you know, the good guys win. They even attracted one of the bad guys, right? Sucked him in. Paris thinks it took took a different route. Um, I think he's just a father figure. But uh, <laughs> I thought this movie held up. I liked it. Jake, what do you think? Oh, you already know the answer. Are you kidding me? This is fucking lightning lightning in a bottle type shit I mean, this is once in a generation movie making and i think like one of the things i love that, that you love it this is great no it's 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 amazing and i think one of uh, the great things is uh you know just it's just the arc of jim right i think like you know there there is some one of my friends uh thinks it's it's a movie about how becoming a cop is a good thing um, <laughs> oh it's copperganda which I refuse uh, to acknowledge. Uh, I, I think it's about a, a, a boy becoming a man. Um, and, or coming uh, in a man, if you <laughs> read my, my oh interpretation. And with that, I will say it has stayed fresh. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I just couldn't stop can't, giggling last night. Can't wait to uh, Bob Iger hears his podcast and is like, all right, Bob, we're canceling Bob. Paris and David. I need a job, Now that Bob. I'm back. <laughs> 
<laughs> so many bobs over at Disney. My God. For those that don't know in the industry, there's there's a bob takeover. There's, there's been like five bobs. There's two of them are the same. I don't know. Google it. Disney. I don't know what they're doing. But I'm, ho- I'm hoping that it's good stuff. Um, well, we didn't even discuss Ben. So oh. Ben, the robot that they find Excellent. who's been abandoned on the planet. So I do think this movie has stayed fresh i raised my eyebrows several times for example the man boy love um and then also the robot that just like was abandoned on this planet with half its brain taken out um that was kind of sad that was you know yeah. that made me feel bad Excellent. and that's martin Ma- short, Ma- Ma- short oh what a fucking mm. i love him so much so but aside from all of that i do think if you're not a little stoned like I was, it's definitely a cute movie. It's got a lot of great themes. I'm surprised that David and I did not know about it. Um, but then I go on Disney and I'm like, there's actually quite a few movies on here that I don't really recognize. So I feel like Disney was just, yeah, it really goes to show like what the marketing dollars can do for the legacy of a film, right? Uh, so I will say it was fresh, but I feel like Ben shouldn't have been abandoned on the planet. Um, and what we learned from the film is that the true treasure was the friendship we made along the way. <laughs> so also one final question, maybe two. Um, number one, do you think you would have been able to get a job on this ship? Because it doesn't seem like the barrier for entry was super high to be a crew member. Like oh, they were all, literally all pirates and nobody knew. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would have gotten a job so fucking oh. easy. I just you would have been in, You would have been in charge of tightening... You know, whatever, whatever, like some life saving. You would have been in charge of water. Me, oh, we got me, no water. Me and Jim would have, would have, you know, just link like that, and then there would have been a love triangle between me, Jim. And oh, there you go. <laughs> you know oh, so you'd be like, you'd be like, sup to the captain. I, I yeah. think Captain Emma, um, her leadership skills are a little in question, especially on the hiring <laughs> process, <laughs> because you got a whole squad of every just, single person's a pirate except for yeah ex- and, and her first mate real, captain real era real yeah exactly she's like that's oh, like it's the squad that's like a director and a first ad hiring all pirates to make a movie and then and she surprised. yeah and she knew not to show them the app or the map right but yeah she's like the, you gotta in, keep this tucked fairness, up uh doppler was the one that hired the crew and okay. they have that whole conversation where she's like yeah. i can't believe you hired these these awful oh, yeah. people so yeah also it's great that the, it's great that a captain a, like a pirate captain also knows how to cook because otherwise that would have been bad if he like he kept turning out like shithouse meals you know what i'm saying <laughs> he, yeah, he, like, i mean i think he understood that morale is the most important thing you know and what, what is the key to morale it's food good food yeah. there we go I mean, okay and then my final question and then i'll, I'll let us go because this episode's getting a little longer but um do you think it was okay that jim just let the bad man go yeah, that's it. He's learned his ways. He's going to continue to scallywag across the if, globe. He hasn't learned yeah. anything. He if hasn't only changed. one, if only one man was killed, then yes. That's what I'm saying. I feel like he's had a higher body what? count in other adventures. Only one man's not going home to his family, so I think Who? that's that's okay. Well, all, the, I guess all the first mate. The, first the pirates mate. fell into the fire in the <laughs> fucking middle of the planet. Oh, uh, there's a bunch of them tied up in the in the basement or in the bottom of the ship. Okay, they were, ha- but they were what about happy the ones that they that got fell into the fire. And what yeah, about- but so they uh, they died. I think it was you know a fair I mean? trade. He gave uh, him, yeah. life, which we and he did g- in Spargo, which was in- incredibly cute. Animal. And a handful of jewels to handful to rebuild. And he bought, he, the yeah, he bought him a new inn. 
and then that was his that was the exchange that he gets to what is the currency exchange rate of one jewel to one whatever currency <laughs> like oh my, to one looked, pirate or to one first mate you know, actually that's a question i had too because there was like he had like a very small handful and i was just like wow like she was able to buy this massive rebuild those are property some, with that those are some huge like diamonds and gems in there though too so yeah but they have it's the future like gold is that i don't know i don't know they went back to a gold standard yeah uh, they explained that in the beginning (laughs) okay sorry the final thing i'll say is the pirate who like collects all this treasure gives us the name of the the film which is treasure planet he dies on top of his treasure and then like doesn't want anyone else to have his treasure yeah he was the he was a major dick he was like he's like if uh elon or jeff bezos just burnt all their money and just, Once, well, just when they passed it and put away. It in a pile and sat on it. Well, it's, yeah. the, it's the pitfalls of greed. You know, this is there actually a late stage capitalism movie. We didn't or talk a police about that. police state like movie, that. if you want. But, yeah. yeah. Or yeah. I'm gonna, I'm or gonna a romantic comedy, depending on how <laughs> you look at it. <laughs> you say it's comedy. something for everybody. You know, you <laughs> put, you put yeah. two hundred people Literally. in the theater. Everybody so many point. interpretations. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. And that's what <laughs> makes a good film, Jake. Exactly. It's like if you can exactly. get the conversations flowing. Well, we are so, so grateful that you came on the podcast. We'll have to have you back. Episode 99. How do you feel about mm, that? Let's go. It's like the year you graduated kindy <laughs> preschool. <laughs> um, it, was a great, it was a great year. I was, I was one years old. I was in New Jersey at the time. Or nice. one year old. David was graduating from old people's school. <laughs> Checking into the retirement home. The good thing is that you guys look like twins, and there's like True. at least 15 years between you or something like that. I'm Don't tell people how old I am. I'm still okay, trying, to, he's 12. trying to get cast in something. He's about to hit puberty. He's about to yeah. fall in love with a pirate captain for the very first time on his maiden voyage on a pirate ship. Um, but I just was going to – I mean, I was trying to give you a compliment before you got uh, I I do appreciate that. You both that. look good. Thank you. Know, you. It's that – it's that melanin doesn't, yeah. doesn't crack. Um, does but no, not. seriously, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jake. This was a great chat. I did laugh pretty fucking hard when I was watching it. I'm not going to lie. There you go. Uh, That's all you so need. Good choice. Something thank you. for everyone. And I, love, I loved hearing about how instrumental it was to your, to your own career. So that's really mm. great. Um, so we'll have to have you back. Everybody go and follow Jake. Go watch his show, which is called, uh, remind us all. The Crossover. It comes out next year, 2023. Next the crossover daddy bob will be shepherding it because he's at disney now um but for now david you should just go ahead and check your fridge make sure that milk ain't spoiled gross milk is gross that's our film club podcast thanks for coming along and we'll catch you next time bye peace